What's up, guys? Good morning. Welcome back to another episode of Blockhash Exploring the Blockchain, episode 286. Today, I have uh, the Chief Development Business Development Officer of Spool, Simon Shaber, on today to talk about DeFi, uh, what they're doing with Spool, and institutions getting into DeFi, and a lot of cool things. Simon, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm super happy to have you here, man. How you doing? Thanks. Real pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about Spool, talk about DeFi, talk about things that are happening, especially now during the bear market. I think it's a real joy to be able to build and not worry too much about uh, tourist investors, about market type. So I think it's the perfect timing to have this talk. So thanks for having me. Of course, absolute pleasure. How have you guys been doing during the bear market? I know it's been a, a builder's kind of mentality out there right now, just kind of trucking along, trying to get through it. Um, has it been kind of difficult for you guys? Are you guys doing well or how do you feel you guys are at? Look, I think we were, you know, like luck is always a mix of chance and um, good forecasting ability and then executing mm -hmm. based on that. So we raised uh, some good money uh, end of last year in December, really, when the bull market was still in full swing. And I think most people that were a bit in macro saw the downturn coming, saw the Fed tightening coming, saw inflation really already accelerating um, almost a year ago. So we were all fully on board with um, hard times coming our way and um, the bull market not continuing forever. So I think we made some good decisions on the business side and uh, we kept our burn rate low. Like we're paying for many things that other DeFi protocols are paying a fortune for. We, we kept it low. We kept it more on the conservative side. We didn't go guns blazing at the top of the bull market. So we are pretty doing pretty well. We've got a really, really long runway of uh, at least five years at current um, burn rate. So we are really in it for a long run and we are happy to build right now. Yeah. Did you notice like any like drop off in users um, staking and delegating liquidity to to spool in any kind of way like was that like somewhat detrimental and i know it was for a lot of projects but um some i think maybe got through a bit easier than others you know through this this bear market cycle i think people were maybe like a little bit over leveraged into DeFi. um but like, what, what was that like for you guys i think that's putting it very mildly honestly <laughs> a little okay. bit over leveraged <laughs> in DeFi. i think DeFi was one of the and it is one of the most risk on asset classes like, um, yes, it offers some uncorrelated returns. Yeah, it's to a certain extent fixed income. Um, but when I'm saying this, I'm normally talking about the, let's say, boring, more conservative protocols, like Aave, Compound, Convex. But you right now get maybe 1% to 5%, depending on um, what you're doing there. But most people didn't want that, right? They wanted 1,800% on some um fork. And, sure. And thought, yeah, as long as as long as um, private equity, really VC funds, are footing the bill and are handing out money for user acquisition, um, all of this is great. And like I, I was fully in there right last year, so mm -hmm. I'm not innocent at all myself. But of course, nothing lasts forever, especially if its uh, burn rate is insane, um, which was the case for many uh, DeFi protocols. For us, um, directly, we really launched the product in April, so it was right before the collapse basically right before mm -hmm. celsius before three arrows capital um before the markets the DeFi market took like a 90 percent downturn also when it just came to liquidity and of course the fed tightening the, the price of fiat money like skyrocketing basically at least of the us dollar like i'm based here in europe so uh <laughs> that's a completely different story uh with the 30 40 purchasing power down but overall um we saw it as in 
a halving of our um, total value routed, how we measure it, mm -hmm. of funds flowing through a spool, uh, which we are honestly kind of happy with. We overtook a lot of protocols that were um, in the billions during the bull markets um, that are now having uh, lower liquidity than we do. Um, and we believe that's because the liquidity that we do have is very sticky because our product offering right now is really made for professional users, for institutional investors that don't think in like a few weeks or a few months and that are inherently skeptical of um, thousands of percent of APY. So um, they really see Spool as a portfolio management tool and as a way of getting into DeFi. And that's a value in and of itself. And they just use it as a middle layer to get into DeFi. And um, yeah, most of our users, they aren't jumping out of the market just because risk on asset classes are taking a hit, really. Yeah, it's, it was, that's crazy, right? That there were like yields you could get thousands of percentages at times. Um, what, what would you, you know, in your professional opinion, consider like super risky in terms of yields in this space, but also at the same time, something that's very reasonable and opportunistic. I don't think people are used to ever seeing a yield like that. I mean, we're used to seeing yields on our savings account that are like half a percentage point and they just aren't worth it. Um, but you get everything from like, you know, 10% yields to hundreds to thousands. And I think some of them maybe are plainly obvious or very risky, but um, still is like a 10%, 20% yield. Are those things also risky or are those things um, you know, other opportunities in this space too. So risk is a complicated matter, right? Um, in the financial world, um, mm -hmm. you can risk, see risk as a product, really. Some people want more of it. Some people want less of it. Therefore, you can make it into a product. You can slice it, dice it. You can chop it up. You can sell it. Mm -hmm. You can buy it. There's a market for risk, really. Um, of course, you could say that everything above a um, US government bond return is inherently risky because like, those, that's normally for us in finance a quote-unquote risk-free return because the US is not able to default on its, uh, on its debt. And everything above that is inherently risky, right? So if we are at 0% for those assets, then DeFi yields at 5 to 10% are inherently risky. If we're looking at um, 10 to 20%, then yeah, the risk just goes up. So the further you go up on the return side, the further you generally also go up on the risk side. Okay, gotcha. I thought those were pretty much proportional as the yield goes up, so does the risk um, in some kind of way. But no, it's it's fascinating to me. It's it's really interesting how that's become pretty much an entire industry within uh, the space through DeFi and how it's driven so much uh, liquidity into the space. Um, I want to talk about Spool a bit more and kind of like your guys's um, position within DeFi and, you know, what you're doing before, you know, we do that. Um, I'm sure a lot of people would like to learn more about you too. Um, so give us a little bit of a background and, you know, some insight into like what your story is. Like, how'd you get into the space? Uh, what'd you do before Spool? Um, give us a little bit of some highlights. Sure thing. No, for me, yes. I think for many of the people that have been in space for longer, the the origin story is really uh, tightly connected to Austrian economics and to libertarianism. Mm -hmm. So back in 2008, 2009, um, I was spending a lot of time in, in these typical um, like nerd and economists and techie forums. And I still remember back then there was a, a project called Freedom Dollars. And um, 
the idea was to have a, a currency that's not just fiat central bank sponsored, but um, that's used within a community. Then also some proponents said you could use it on the internet, right? We could um, trade uh, for digital goods, for example, with it amongst um, us in the community. And the project, I think, got cracked down on really, really hard. And uh, like the Fed stepped in in the US and um, nothing really much yeah, came of it. And then just maybe a year later in 2009, I still remember reading about Bitcoin for the first time. And I thought, yeah, that's really cool that you can have digital mm -hmm. assets for the first time and have units of account in the digital space that are not just copies of each other, but actually, um, well, scarce. That's the entire point, right? It wasn't the case before. But for me, I was just traumatized from the entire freedom dollar um, thing happening. So I thought, yeah, it's just going to get um, regulated out of existence. And also, yeah, because it's just currency, there's not that much I can do with it right now. But then really in 2014, when Ethereum came around and I read the white paper, um, that was for me the one of the best things I've ever seen in my life, right? That was one of the biggest eye-openers that based on this digital scarcity, um, you can also build um, unstoppable applications. You can basically build a world computer that anyone anywhere has access to and can build applications that not even the most powerful government in the world could stop if they, if they wanted to, if they tried as hard as they might. And that you can build an entire industry of unstoppable applications basically on Ethereum. And that was for me, that was it. So uh, with Ethereum, I really went um, down the rabbit hole and I went really, really hard on crypto. And then 2015 and 2016, um, I founded the first, uh, my first crypto company, really, Untitled Inc., which was a think tank and venture launch platform. And we launched a lot of different companies and a lot of different investment vehicles and did a lot of um, consulting work back then when everyone thought supply chains and insurance policies are going to be the best use case for crypto because just put it all on chain. You need transparency there. You have a lot of actors that don't trust each other. Just slam it all on the chain. So if you remember like Maersk, for example, the big logistics company and shipping company, um, they started up back then with their project to put containers and um, uh, yeah, shipping and freight um, stuff onto the chain. Uh, that's the kind of stuff we did back in the day. Then really 2017, 18, the, mostly 2017, the entire ICO boom rolled around. Uh, I was then um, helping a lot of VCs take the first step with token investments and assess tokenomics, understand how traction works in crypto, how liquidity works in crypto, how you can risk manage by um, having your positions in those um, in those projects more liquid and more early liquid than it would normally be the case. And then, yeah, also got a bit into security tokens um, when that rolled around after the ICO boom. And then with DeFi in 2020, that was, for me, one of the coolest things and was had way more substance than the ICO boom in in my opinion. And uh, yeah, that's how I just naturally kind of rolled into the DeFi space. Yeah, th there's a lot of rabbit holes that go down in this space um, and a lot of different directions you can take. And I, I feel like you just can get completely lost in, in potential use cases, tech, blockchain. Um, it's it's kind of wild. I love it though. It's, it's such an open industry and you can take it so many different directions. Um, what would you find so cool about DeFi, you know, you got yourself into the space, fairly integrated, um, starting to understand technology, and then of all the different things going on in the space from, 
CBDCs and stable coins to tokens to NFTs to cryptocurrencies to uh, to, to DeFi to DAOs to governance uh, and DAGs and everything else oracles. What what struck you with DeFi that made you want to do something within this specific realm? So a lot of things came together, I think, and it, it all goes back to this, what I said earlier, what got me into crypto in the first place, this entire libertarian mindset of um, mm -hmm. build things that work on an individual level and then scale them and not um, build a system that works as a system in theory and then try to figure out if it can work in practice, but rather make something mm -hmm. really and then government has to accept it or not because it's kind of a new established reality. And um, for me, one of the most broken, most um, essential systems that pretty much every, at least Western European, is directly depending on is just the financial system. It's uh, the banking system. And um, also, of course, those that are still unbanked, those about 2 billion uh, on earth, they are also indirectly exposed and dependent on uh, the futures price on, on wheat, on corn, on rice, on whatever, mm -hmm. and um, insurance policies, freight rates, all of that stuff. And so little of the established financial system is transparent. And yeah, the, the participation, the road to access is so difficult and so permissioned um, that I think it went wrong in its development over the past 100 years in many, many ways. And for me, the financial applications of smart contracts really can remedy a lot of these. And I do believe that they can make the life of probably most people on earth considerably better if just applied and like executed upon and if innovation is allowed to thrive because I, I firmly believe that if you just leave people be, they will build something great on their own. Like I, I firmly believe in people being industrious and people wanting to improve their lives on their own. And um, yeah, for me, DeFi was probably the only way to build a new financial system because it's often way easier to just build something new from the ground up then try to reform something that has so many deeply, deeply rooted and established um, stakeholders that have no interest in changing things whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there's so much within DeFi that feels like it's going to be very good for the world. Um, everything from giving people more financial tools, helping bank the unbanked to um, every other um, agenda and title item out there within finance. And it's... It's been very complicated, I think, to use DeFi for a lot of people. Um, everything from connecting wallets to understanding staking and delegating to creating pools and doing these things. Um, for someone that's you know pretty integrated into the space, maybe it's easy to understand. But for the end user, um, th there's a lot of bad UI. There's not a lot of explanation out there. Um, and I think that kind of holds back where DeFi can go. And, and, and it's something that probably needs to be remedied pretty quickly how do you guys make DeFi a lot more simple through spool and make it i guess more digestible and easier to use yeah so it's a very good question and i do believe that the main boom we saw in DeFi was probably less than ten thousand people playing around and like moving money from one protocol to the other like back and forth between them but of course that's not mainstream adoption that's like a great um, proof of concept a great mvp but if you really want large-scale mainstream adoption. You need to make it as easy as it can be. And I wouldn't even say as easy as having a bank account because I think having a bank account is really unnecessarily difficult and you need to pass through so many checks um, 
sign so many documents, provide so many documents. Um, I do believe that it has to be easier than that. But I also really believe that if people bother with a complex system, they want to either be able to trust someone else um, with knowing what they're doing and then just blindly trust them and um, work with it. Or yeah, or they really dig into it as much as they can and completely understand all of the complicated uh, complexities around it. But that's maybe 5% of the crowd. 95% of people, they want to trust someone else um, who knows the system. So what we are doing with Spool is basically providing the toolbox to create complex, risk-managed, and diversified um, fixed-income portfolios in DeFi. So um, the ability to farm with a smart world that you create according to your exact specifications with exposure to those protocols that you want to have exposure to and um, yeah, an exact risk framework that assesses the risks of um, those protocols you're exposed to and constantly rebalances, redistributes funds, um, pulls them out, pushes them back in, harvests, liquidates, everything so that you as probably an institution or professional user have, for the most part, automated your entire portfolio management for your entire DeFi engagement. And that allows you to offer savings products, offer earnings products, offer fixed income products, build securities, all of this on top of these self-executing smart contract-based um, DeFi portfolios that well allows you as a bank, as an exchange, as anyone really, to provide financial infrastructure um, and savings and earnings products to your clients that otherwise would probably never um, interact with the DeFi protocol. And even if they would, they would just interact with one or two and basically don't do any risk management whatsoever. Uh, probably overinvest, maybe not, but um, very unlikely would they be to pay the gas fees to be invested in five or even 10 different protocols and different strategies because gas fees would just eat them up. It's way too complicated. Um, you have to always be on top of rebalancing, of making sure that the funds are distributed well. And Spool does all of this in an automated way for you. And it makes it massively more gas efficient, right? Because with Spool, you basically only have one deposit into a smart contract and one time pulling it out whenever you want to have your money back. Of course, fully permissionless, non-custodial. You can have it at any moment. And then you just diversify it across as many protocols as you want. And you're constantly rebalanced to always stay within that exact risk return spectrum that you want to be in. And... Right now, there's very little risk management in DeFi, and there's also very little in the in the ways of making it more efficient, and at the same time, more composable. Yeah, how do you apply more risk management into DeFi? I imagine that's something that really holds back institutions and funds from getting in, right? Yeah, so there's two approaches, I think, in DeFi. There's one's the, let's say, more retail, more degen way of doing it, which is basically almost risk is binary. Either your money is there, that's a one, or your money is gone, that's a zero. So you've got like one or zero for risk management. Um, and then you've got the institutional approach, like the big boys, right? Like an Alameda or like a Swissborg that are matching hundreds of millions, um, where they have really complicated risk frameworks, where they constantly assess and reassess um, how risky individual strategies are. And then always balance it, right? We talked about this earlier, where APYs can go to 10,000, but if your money is gone tomorrow before you can withdraw it, it could as well be zero. It doesn't make a difference. 10,000 times zero is zero. And like one times zero is also zero. Zero is the same. So um, these guys constantly do that on their own. 
because they have the funds to also execute on it, to rebalance every couple of days, maybe even every day to make sure that everything is how they want it to be. But that's because they're swinging around huge amounts of money. Spool really makes this accessible for, for everyone and for anyone around the globe with even as low as a few hundred um, US dollars ready to put into DeFi. And they can have um, the risk management how they want it to be. So how does that work? That normally means that when creating a Spool smart wallet that anyone can do, it costs like 25 US dollars in gas fees. I just did it yesterday again, set up a new one. Um, you are asked to either pick a risk model that someone else created that uh, you also want to use because you like their methodology or you provide your own risk model. And you can define, it's basically as easy as just having an Excel spreadsheet um, that's where you enter the numbers for each strategy. Um, you define this yearn world is uh, this risky, this other, this curve three pool, whatever, morpho, compound um, is this risky. And then you've got the number for each strategy. And if you now decide that you want to be exposed to five different strategies, you ask for your risk appetite. And if you, let's say, are very risk-seeking, then your exposure to those with a higher risk and also a higher return will be um, higher. So they will be the ones, um, the strategies you will have the most exposure to, the most allocation to. And um, those that are the uh, more or less, uh, less risky and have lower yields, you'll have lower exposure to. Now, if you decide that you're more risk-averse, you don't want that much risk, you put the slider on the other side and the exposure will be the other way around. You will have um, more allocation to protocols that have generally a bit lower APY, but are considered less risky and um, yeah, less allocation to those that are a lot more risky. And the cool thing is that it's not like a static thing, right? Because risk changes and APY changes basically in real time, like all the time. And Spool automatically keeps you in exactly those allocation percentages that you set at the beginning and that you want to be in. Yeah, you mentioned some really important DeFi tools here. Um, everything from rebalancing to strategies to risk management are all very key that I think are not always seen within DeFi that you need to be if you want these large, uh, big players, institutions and funds and, and, and whatnot to pour more money in. What, what are some other tools maybe that are at their disposal with Spool and maybe some tools that are missing that you would like to maybe um, make available at some point that you think would be beneficial for them to get more involved in DeFi? So I think that's a very good question because um, it's basically a really big bridge to build and uh, we are building it, but it is um, more complex than most people think. So there's a couple of building blocks, right? Um, First of all, you need a fiat on-ramp. Um, fiat currencies, USD, um, euros, Swiss francs, uh, Japanese yen, whatever, need to be able to flow into crypto. So what does this normally mean? You need um, onboarding. So you need some banking partner that is accepting fiat currencies from uh, clients, deposits it into accounts in the client's name, then um, converts them via uh, a broker um, brokerage into stable coins, so USDC, USDT, or DAI, most likely. And then those stables, of course, have to be held in account as well. So they have to be custodied um, with a normally like a licensed custodian, and then probably also have a custody service provider, like a Fireblocks or maybe a Ledger. And or maybe you're doing it via a Coinbase as well. And then from that account in custody in a secure environment, the funds need to be able to flow into a smart contract in order to interact with DeFi. So here with Spool, you only have to interact with one single smart contract. 
and then all of the allocation, all of the distribution is done uh, in one go. If you would do it without Spool, you'd have to interact with so many different smart contracts and constantly monitor them and constantly pull funds in and out. So that'd be a mess. Uh, yeah, and then you have the funds farming, right? But this is, of course, only the technical side. Um, regulation is a completely different beast. Uh, compliance and yeah, origin of funds, KYC, AML. If you want retail money, you need to take care of all of that. Now, that's definitely coming. Um, institutional money is just a lot faster because you have a lot less um, regulatory hurdles to jump through uh, because most um, yeah, institutions are acting with their own money. So they're not dealing with other people's money, which makes things yeah, infinitely easier, or they just are not uh, as heavily regulated as if they would be taking in retail money. Did you guys build on top of Ethereum? Yeah. Uh, why? Just curious, why Ethereum versus maybe one of these other uh, blockchain ecosystems out there? So there's two sides to that, right? Um, so we've been building um, basically since 2020 uh, with uh, Spool. Mm -hmm. And... When we started building, there was just not that much DeFi, right, besides Ethereum. Right. And in the end of the day, you need utility, you need um, deep liquidity for this to make sense and for DeFi ecosystem to develop. So that was the natural first thing to go. Then, of course, Ethereum is also just the biggest and longest running um, uh, protocol that has smart contract capability. And therefore, again, deepest liquidity, most amount of trust. Um, it's never been stopped. Like The worst thing there was was um, the, the hard fork which again, pretty much everything had multiple hard forks. I mean, I just remember like a Bitcoin SV, Bitcoin Cash and all of that stuff back in the day. So that stuff happens all the time. Um, yeah, and then again, if we want to onboard institutions, uh, Ethereum is risky enough, right? Um, mm -hmm. For them, Ethereum being around for eight years, it's like nothing. That's um, It just was born yesterday, basically. If you now tell them, uh, let's go on some other chains that literally came out yesterday or like half a year ago, um, it makes zero sense. And then again, um, yeah, deepest liquidity still. And we also saw the, as I said, the economic downturn. We saw the liquidity crunch coming in 2022. So, uh, of course, the more risk on the asset, the more it will suffer. And the more subsidized, basically, by private equity money, so VC money, um, the harder it will crash. And Ethereum was not that dependent. Ethereum itself wasn't dependent at all on VC money. Um, and also many big projects um, building on Ethereum were pretty fine without giving out crazy APYs. And um, yeah, so that was the natural choice. And then again, Spool is massively gas efficient, right? So anyone can afford to be diversified and risk managed and farm yields across 10 different protocols um, through Spool on Ethereum. And it costs um, probably the same or less depending on how you treat it than if you would go on Polygon or um, Layer 2s or on Solana or some other uh, L1. Do you guys with Spool have any ambitions to uh, integrate other blockchains at some point uh, to, to open up access to different sectors of the market? Or do you just want to stay on Ethereum for now for the reasons you explained? No, absolutely. So we are totally agnostic. We see um, okay. Spool really as the one layer between liquidity coming into uh, DeFi mm -hmm. and then the distribution into wherever that liquidity wants to go. So we are DAO, right? Whatever gets voted in governance, um, we will do. And um, right now we're looking at some layer twos. I can't talk too much, but uh, we are mm -hmm. um, not that far away from a couple of layer twos. And um, then again, I think bear market, bull market, those 
times change things, right? So if we see a massive liquidity spike, if we see the Fed printing again like crazy, if we see quantitative easing again massively, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of dry powder right now in private equity that fund managers are just sitting on top and are not spending. If that dry powder is being used again, then the world of digital finance looks very different all of a sudden. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we are ready. But for us, it's important that we build things that people really want to use. And right now we see the main um, draw for institutions and um, for anyone that builds products on Ethereum. Yeah, you talk about that dry powder and, you know, there's a lot of uh, cash and fiat just kind of on the sidelines right now with what's happening in the world from a, a global or macroeconomic outlook. How, what do you think it's going to take to get them to start moving that money back into blockchain and into crypto and into things like DeFi. So at the end of the day, financial markets are a lot about narratives and um, really market perception, right? So uh, it's a mix right now. I can talk about everywhere, of course, but um, in large parts of Europe, we're in a stagflation. So we have really high inflation, two digits, um, even the official inflation numbers are in the two digit space. At the same time, we've got an economic downturn. So We've got the recession and uh, inflation at the same time, which uh, should not normally happen. Like if a, if a central bank does its job, it normally shouldn't happen. Um, of course, it has happened and we're living it right now. Um, so it's a really, really difficult situation um, because how do you get out of this? You can um, try to fight the recession with uh, pushing more money into the economy. Where does the money come from? Normally from uh, the government, if it has some savings. Um, obviously, Western... Um, Western governments don't have that. And so they would have to borrow more money and like expand credit. Um, how would they finance that? Just through additional inflation. But with inflation already in the two-digit space, how do you do that, right? Uh, you just explode and you would just explode inflation numbers to 20, 30% um, really, really fast if you wanted to fight the recession properly heads on. Um, so you can't really do that. Now, if you want to fight the recession, um, you would normally have to yeah, no, that's what I already said. If you want to fight the inflation, you would normally have to tighten the money supply. But then again, the economy is already extremely battered and we're already in a recession. So you can't tighten much. Um, the Fed is doing it anyways, to a certain extent, right? Um, they're raising yields and um, uh, raising rates, hiking rates. And the ECB can't really follow um, because of Southern European countries being very, very um, well exposed. So... Basically, to get back to the question, which is a very complicated one, of course, because if I knew this, uh, I'd probably be running a very large hedge fund. Um, I personally, and this is just my personal opinion, um, I see Max Payne coming around in the middle of next year, maybe maybe already June or something like that, um, maybe April, April to June, something somewhere like that, um, because we have ways to go, right? Um, like we have a lot of um, space on on the uh, on the lower side of um, the economy. Um, lots of businesses that are basically zombies haven't crashed yet. Um, lots of countries haven't defaulted yet that are very close. In the UK, we just had um, pension funds being margin called uh, last week. That can happen again in like one or two weeks. And then maybe um, they properly get margin called and that's it for pensions. And then we're getting closer to max pain. If people are not being paid their retirement and their pension, um, people will go on the streets, right? And then we'll feel a lot more pain. So, um and I do think that many fund managers want to sit it out and want to wait for this max pain moment, um, likely when, I mean, in France, in the Netherlands, in Germany, and so on, and in, in Poland, 
many, many people are on the streets and are protesting rising cost of living and so on. But I personally, again, not financial advice, I personally believe that there's plenty of way to go further down. Yeah, I think I'm in the same line of thought. And I think there's a bit more to happen, um, a bit too much risk out there, I think, to deploy larges, large amounts of money. So I don't blame them at all. Um, and, and I think the Fed's going to raise rates here in the U.S. come November because core inflation is really, really high still. It, it didn't slow down in September. And um, inflation's way out of control for certain commodities, especially food and energy is going to get really bad probably over the winter in the U.S. So I don't think it's going to get any time better over the next couple months for sure. Um, and that's going to definitely have an effect for the rest of this year and going into next year. And it's just, I don't think, not priced in for, for now and where it's going to be in the first quarter. Um, how that affects the rest of the world is going to be a very, very interesting question as well as blockchain and, and DeFi and crypto overall, which is taking quite a hit along with everything. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how 2023 plays out. But I do think we're going to see this bear market come to an end some point, probably next year, late next year. It, it's, it all is going to probably depend on a lot of things. I agree. And I think maybe to go further into detail for the VCs, because that's the biggest part. A big part is just VCs having to accept at some point that what they invested in last year at sky high um, valuations is just not worth that much. And at mm -hmm. some point, they will have to also accept um, write-offs and um, markdowns, really, when startups either run out of runway and they just go out of business and they just stop and it's a complete write-off, or they raise the next round at maybe 40%, or maybe even 30% of the valuation of last um, round. So I think that hasn't set in as well. Many VCs just want to pretend like all of the startups are worth the same as they were one year ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but once that happens, a bit of um, more sense of reality, a bit more pragmatism uh, can can come back in. And like for real, it's it's not that bad right now as an investor. Like I just got a deck from a um, like actually really nice fintech last week where they were raising uh, at a valuation of 12 million with they already had eight engineers working full time for a year to build the product. Product's basically done. They're the first couple of users. They users like the product. Um, they've got good traction. And again, they're raising it at a valuation of 12 million US dollars. Like that's nothing. Last year, you couldn't even get like a grocery store or whatever for, for 12 million US dollars. Mm -hmm. So it's not that bad. Same as with crypto. There's a lot of really cheap bargains. And I think like dollar cost averaging in right now is not the worst idea. Like you never catch the perfect mm -hmm. low point. Yeah. But already buying a bit now, buying a bit maybe really in December, buying a bit in January, February, and like trying to kind of get the lower parts of the curve even if you don't get the exact lowest point. Yeah, no one's going to get it right. It doesn't matter if you're some noob trader out there that's, you know, has no experience whatsoever and is just kind of throwing money around or if you're a, a well-seasoned and veteran institutional grade investor, it doesn't really matter. Like you can get close, but you're never going to get it right. And even the big guys get it very wrong sometimes. So I, I think it's just, you know, for me, it's always been risk management. You know, what are you comfortable losing? And then what's the upside to that potential loss? Um, and then just gauging where the market is and what are those potential factors that can affect it. So, you know, overall right now, you know, I think it's a very good time to consider putting some money in very slowly. Um, is it going to probably have other legs down? 
Absolutely. I know that's coming, but everything, it's such a great deal right now relative to where it will probably be in the future. And there's a lot of great projects that are building um, very well and developing some, some great tools and use cases throughout this space. Um, and a lot of things are just very, very undervalued in, in my opinion. So I think it's a great time to redeploy and get back in, but you know, moderately, uh, whether it's dollar cost averaging or doing it in waves and triages, uh, you know, there's a lot of different strategies out there, but um, we got to enter at some point. It's it's what down 90% in the last uh, year now. Bitcoin was at an all time high, like just last November, which is crazy to think about. And it's it's pushing down right now to 18,000 and the markets down 85, 90, 90% across the board. So I think that's pretty telling. Absolutely. Um, where can people find more info on Spool if they want to learn more about it, they want to use it, they want to get into DeFi? Um, is the website the best place to go for documentation? Should they go to, do you guys have a community? Where do you want to direct people? Yeah, the best place to go is app.spool.fi, where you really directly find the product. And I think it's quite self-explanatory. But otherwise, we have very comprehensive uh, documentation. That's, of course, at uh, docs.spool.fi. Um, you can really find everything. And, of course, join our Discord community. Um, that's the best place to go. On our website, uh, in the app, uh, you always find the link to the Discord. We've got open calls. Um, so we, we care a lot about transparency. We do, for example, I'm taking care of business development and partnerships. Um, every two weeks, I host a full open call on the Discord where anyone can join. You don't even need to be like a um, long-term member or anything. Um, just hop in, ask any questions, um, say hi, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, we have some of the best um, community members I've ever seen. Truly, really, we've got three sticky community members also, if you want to call it like that, besides liquidity. Uh, we have plenty of people that are coming to conferences uh, whenever we are in the United States, in Europe, in the UK, wherever. Um, we always meet up with uh, school community members and we're always having a great time because the project is so down to earth, I think. And mm -hmm. We've got long runway, we've got a good product, we've got real world adoption. And at the same time, token is really cheap and uh, like market cap has got crazy hammered by the downturn. So um, I think it's the best time to build. And um, I'll be happy about anyone uh, joining our community at the Discord, really. Absolutely. What if people want to follow you? Are you online? Yeah, but um, <laughs> the, I'm mostly on LinkedIn, to be honest. Uh, so, um, yeah, you can follow me at uh, Simon Schaber uh, on LinkedIn. Um, posting a lot of DeFi, a lot of crypto content, some regulatory content. So really more on the financial side and uh, yeah, more connecting and building the bridge between DeFi and TradFi. So definitely say hi on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, would be looking forward to seeing you there. Cool. Guys, go check out and connect with Simon on LinkedIn if you want to talk with him and make sure to check out Spool and everything they're doing in the DeFi space to make it better, simpler, faster, cheaper, more awesome. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe to the video in the podcast as well down below if you haven't already. Simon, thank you for taking the time to come on. Really do appreciate it. Oh, you're a busy guy. Um, really good conversation too. We really got into the weeds on on DeFi and global economics um, as well as what you guys are doing with Spool. So, you know, appreciate the time, appreciate the knowledge and good episode, man. I really enjoyed it. No, hey, thanks for inviting me and thanks for having me. And it was a really nice talk. So hope to see you again soon. Anytime. Take care. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, we'll talk soon.
Cheers.